0: Welcome to the Group of Five Focus Podcast, where we take some time each week to highlight a few significant G5 matchups and showcase the power of the Group of Five. I'm your host, Brian Doppel. In this episode, I'll recap the action from Week 8 and preview a few Week 9 games, including a couple of Mountain West rivalry games, and some guests join the show to help me preview my game of the week. We'll get into it after the break. Okay, let's take a look back at the American Athletic Conference in Week 8. Uh, we had on a Friday night game, Tulsa beat Temple up in Philadelphia on Saturday. Number 21, Cincinnati got a win over SMU. Tulane continues to roll with a Memphis uh, a win over Memphis. ECU got a surprise, perhaps, win over UCF there in Greenville, um, and a big win at that, 34-13 to over the Knights. This week in the American Athletic Conference, ECU hosts BYU coming off a, a tough loss to Liberty last week on Friday evening at 8 o'clock on ESPN2. Another American Athletic Conference game I'm really looking forward to this week is SMU versus Tulsa at 3.30. Uh, they're from Chapman Stadium in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 on ESPN+. Last week in Conference USA, Western Kentucky got a nice Friday night win over UAB, 20-17. to Uh... Elsewhere on Saturday, Rice got a a narrow win um, in overtime over Louisiana Tech. Florida International beat uh, the Charlotte 49ers, leading to the subsequent firing of Charlotte head coach Will Healy. Um, UTSA in last week's game of the week got a nice win over North Texas 31 to 17, or I'm sorry, 31 to 27, um, after a, a UTSA touchdown with 15 seconds left in the game. So a, a close one there. Definitely lived up to my game of the week hype. Uh, so I hope you guys were able to catch that one. And uh, UTEP got a nice win over Florida Atlantic. Another close one, 24-21 to 21 on a walk-off field goal uh, there at the end of the fourth quarter. So an exciting game there in El Paso as well. This week in in Conference USA, uh, Charlotte tries to regroup as they go to Rice on Saturday. North Texas uh, tries to do the same versus Western Kentucky coming off that nice UAB win. Uh, UAB sort of licks its wounds, heads down to Florida Atlantic to try to get a win this week. And Middle Tennessee heads over to UTEP uh, to see what they can do against the Miners. Last week the MAC had a crazy weekend um, on Saturday. Uh, all, all the MAC teams played on Saturday this week. Um, we're getting closer and closer to midweek action. That I cannot wait for. Uh, this this is a pro uh, a pro Tuesday night college football podcast. So uh, just cannot wait for those MAC games to start. Uh, but uh, this past week Kent State got a nice win over Akron, although it was a close one a 33 to 27 win. Meanwhile, everything else in the Mac fell apart. Uh, it was, it was upsets galore, a game that I don't know that we can consider an upset. Um, but Toledo, who, uh, who's doing very well this year lost on the road at Buffalo 34 to 27, um, on Saturday. I know a lot of rockets were expecting to win that game, uh, but Buffalo is a tough place to play. Uh, and the bulls came back. They scored 24 fourth quarter points to win this game. So just a, a crazy game in Buffalo, um, Maction, Maction is in, in full effect. Uh, elsewhere in the MAC, Bowling Green got a big win, 34 to 18, over the Chippewas of Central Michigan. Eastern Michigan got a, a win over Ball State, a narrow one, 20 to 10. I'm sorry, 20 to 16. The Bobcats of Ohio got a win over Northern Illinois. Um, Northern Illinois' struggles continue uh, this season, uh, being only two and six overall and one and three in the MAC. And Western Michigan, the Broncos got a, a nice win over Miami, 16 to 10, a defensive uh, affair uh, between these two teams. Um, Western Michigan now three and five overall, two and two in the Mac. And Miami three and five overall, but one and three in the Mac. In the Mountain West, last week on Saturday, UNLV traveled up to South Bend to play Notre Dame, uh, and unfortunately lost 44 to 21. The upset will have to wait on that one. Uh, Colorado Colorado State got a much needed win. Uh, they're now two and five overall, and two and one in conference. Uh, they won 17 to 13 over Hawaii at home, uh, so a close one, a little, maybe a little too close uh, for, for comfort for some Rams, uh, but uh, but a win nonetheless. Uh, Fresno State put a beat down on New Mexico and won 41-9 on the road. Boise State um, got an incredible win over Air Force, uh, 19-14 on Saturday. Uh, They sort of held off the Falcons to to make it happen out at Choctaw Stadium. Wyoming got a nice win over Utah State, 28-14. And San Diego State uh, got a nice win as well over Nevada, 23-7. The game between San Jose State and New Mexico State was postponed uh, due to the um, surprise passing of the San Jose State football player. Um, so I'm not I don't have any updates on the schedule there. Um, but of course, uh, we're sending lots of positivity out to the Spartans community and family there out in San Jose. This week in the Mountain West, we've got some really interesting games. Colorado State goes to Boise uh, to play the Broncos. Um, they I don't know that they stand much of a chance there on the road, but uh, Boise is the 27 and half point favorite. Um, I suppose crazier things have happened, but uh, going with the Broncos on that one. Uh, Nevada is playing at San Jose State. Um, I don't believe there are any plans to postpone this game as well, so um, that game should kick off as scheduled at 10.30 p.m. on Saturday, um, and you can watch it on CBS Sports Network. Last week in the Sun Belt, I had the pleasure of attending uh, the Appalachian State Georgia State game here in Boone. And after a challenging, confusing first half, uh, I don't I don't know what Coach Clark and the rest of the the coaching staff said to the players at halftime, or what the players said back to the coaches, but uh, they they certainly made made some changes and uh, came out. Came back out after halftime and, and beat the Panthers of Georgia State forty-two to seventeen after being down fourteen to zero in the first quarter. So, a nice win by the Mountaineers. Um, they they don't play until next Saturday, so we'll have to wait to see them back in action. The Sun Belt had another midweek game on Thursday. Um, the battle for the belt between Troy and South Alabama. Another defensive affair. Um, this game ended up with Troy winning ten to six on the road in Mobile. At um, just a crazy back and forth game, a really intense uh, defenses going going at it, and um, two offenses that have done have been doing very well this season were both uh, you know, held in check by each other. So um, Troy with the edge in the Sun Belt now, uh, it'll be exciting to see how this plays out uh, in, in the West Division of the Sun Belt to see the impact that this game might have on the final standings. On Saturday, UL Monroe went and lost at Army, 48-24. Marshall upset James Madison on their homecoming, and the Herd got the win, 26-12, giving James Madison their second loss on the season, both in conference. Georgia Southern gets a nice win, uh, or got a a nice win on Saturday over Old Dominion, uh, 28-23 on the road in Norfolk. Uh, So uh, the the Sun Belt East uh, continues to sort of Uh, chip away at each other here the teams teams that are beating other teams are now losing inexplicably to to some lower ranked teams so Sunbelt East is very strong and this game was a was more proof of that Um, in the Sunbelt West Louisiana got a nice win at home versus Arkansas State 38 to 18 Arkansas State just couldn't capitalize on a downraging Cajuns team so um, so yeah the Cajuns got the got the win at home there at Cajun Field and lastly, Southern Miss uh, gets a nice win um, on the road at Texas State last week, so uh, they they got the nice win 20 to 14 um, there in San Marcos. This week in the Sun Belt on Thursday evening, you can catch Louisiana at Southern Miss. Uh, Southern Miss is the one point favorite uh, in this in this game, so um, I don't think. I don't think many people anticipated Southern Miss being the favorite at this point, but this should be a really good game. 7.30 ESPN2 on Thursday between the Cajuns and the Golden Eagles. On Saturday, Old Dominion plays at Georgia State. South Alabama goes to Arkansas State. And Coastal Carolina, uh, with only one loss on, on their season so far, goes to Marshall Um, and Marshall is a two-point favorite at home over the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. So uh, we'll see see how that plays out. I don't know that I'm giving Marshall the edge there um, against Coastal, uh, but we'll we'll see what happens at the Joan at 7 p.m. on NFL Network on Saturday. You know we've got a couple of fun rivalries this week, too. Uh, Both of our rivalries this week come from... The Mountain West Conference, the the unexplainable Mountain West Conference, and the first one we're looking at is between Hawaii and Wyoming, who are playing for the Paniolo Trophy. They've been playing this game since 1978. Um, so this is a, a really interesting game, Hawaii and Wyoming, neither of them having exceptional years this year um but wyoming does have the uh, the historical edge in this rivalry 15 to 11 although hawaii won last year 38 to 14 um and but wyoming won the year before 31 to 7 so uh, even in recent years it's gone back and forth pretty uh, swung pretty far in both directions Uh, like i said this year neither team having an exceptional year although wyoming sits at 5 and 3 overall and 3 and 1 in conference um Wyoming sitting at second in the mountain, uh, in the mountain division, um, Hawaii currently at one and two in conference, and they're sitting at next to last in the, uh, the West division. So Wyoming certainly having a better year, um, behind a uh, quarterback, Andrew Presley. Um, he's having a good year with over 1200 yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, nothing sensational really. Um, from, from the Cowboys, as far as passing they're they're really much more of a running team led by Titus Swin, um, who's having a great year, six over 660 yards and seven touchdowns on the season. But really, uh, there's, there's a good group of them there in Wyoming that are, that are running the ball. Well, 172 yards per game. Worth noting that both of these teams are allowing more points, uh, and yards than they are scoring this season. So, um, while Wyoming does have the uh, the winning record, it, what that what that is telling me is that their wins are very close and their losses are are pretty big. Um, but not as big as Hawaii's. Wyoming's Wyoming's uh, differential is really only uh, one point or so. They're averaging 23 point9 points a game, and they're allowing 24.8. Meanwhile, Hawaii is allowing 18 or I'm sorry, Hawaii is scoring. and allowing 34.5 so really quite a difference there I think that uh, we're looking at the opportunity for Wyoming to uh, outscore their average um, this weekend versus Hawaii Uh, this game is um, in uh, at Hawaii so Wyoming will have to travel for it Um, but I just don't think uh, the Hawaii um, home field advantage is going to stop the Cowboys from getting the win in this one We've also got uh, the the famous oil can rivalry between Fresno State and San Diego State this weekend. Um, a, a truly historic game going back all the way to 1923 uh, between these two teams. Um, the interestingly, the first meeting between these teams uh, in 1923 was a 12 to two San Diego State win, uh, coached by by C.E. Peterson, who I know nothing about, but I uh, just thought. I would throw that in there. Uh, San Diego State does have the historic edge in this rivalry: thirty wins to Fresno State's twenty-six, with four ties included in there as well. Um, last year, Fresno State got the thirty-to-twenty win, um, but uh, two years ago in the the previous meeting san diego state won followed by two consecutive fresno state wins followed by two consecutive san diego state wins i mean it just it just goes back and forth in this rivalry uh these two teams are very well matched historically um san diego state going through some interesting things this year um, their first their first season in their new stadium but uh this game will be played at, at bulldog stadium in fresno um so we don't get to show it off uh to, to fresno state this year um fresno state uh being led at quarterback by Logan Fife. Um, they're, they're having a, a good year offensively. They're scoring 25 points a game and they're passing for 250 yards a game. So, uh, Logan, Logan Fife is doing a really good job throwing the ball. Um, his primary, uh, receiving target is Jalen Moreno-Cropper, um, who's got f- over 500 yards and just one touchdown, um, on 46 receptions this season, but, uh, definitely the, um, the yards leader, uh, but there is just a bunch of receivers there in Fresno that are ready to catch the ball at any time. Uh, San Diego state is kind of an opposite situation. They're a definitely a run first team. Uh, They're led by, uh, by running back Jordan bird um, who has 62 carries 337 yards and three touchdowns this season. So um, while they're rushing for 174 or so yards per game, um, bird has a good, a good amount of those, but it's really um, a group of running backs doing uh, doing all the work there. San Diego State is another team that is allowing more points than they're scoring this season. So even with a winning record of four and three overall and two and one in conference, um, really they're, they're giving up more points and more yards than they're gaining. Um, Fresno State is not the same. They're, they are... They do have more points per game, uh, more yards per game than they're allowing, uh, but it is a little bit more, a little bit of a narrow margin. Um, I am giving Fresno State the edge at the at home here. Um, ESPN's FPI is giving them like a seventy-five percent chance to win this game. Um, I think it could be closer than that, but I do think Fresno State is going to win the oil can in this year's iteration of of this rivalry. all right let's head over to the g5 hive mind to see uh, what's been going on this week Um, i would say i have been um pleasantly surprised in uh in in the activity of the g5 hive mind this week Um, you guys have a lot of questions a lot of thoughts and uh, i always appreciate um the replies and the responses here i'm going to go through these as quickly as i can and knock them out but um but yeah, do keep an eye out for uh, on Twitter um, and on Facebook, especially um, I'm trying to get that out on Facebook and Instagram a little bit, a little bit more consistently, uh, but definitely on Twitter, keep an eye out on Sunday or so for my hashtag uh, G5 HiveMind mind tweet. Um, you can reply there or, uh, and in that tweet, you could, there's a link that you can click to record a message and you could find yourself on an episode of this podcast as well with, with your question or, or thought or concern or complaint We don't have complaints, though, do we? Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and get started on Twitter with the G5 hive mind. Uh, Dan at Dan Savage Live uh, said that he would like me to break down a midseason disappointment and pleasant surprise from every G5 league. So I'm going to go through these quickly. I'm going to give a short of, uh, of explanation as I can, and uh, and see if we can bust these out. All right, so let's start with the American. We'll go in alphabetical order. Um, we'll start with the American. So my disappointment so far uh, from the American Athletic Conference is probably SMU. Um, I, I don't think they're having a terrible season. Um, they're sitting at. Eighth in the American Athletic Conference right now at one and two in conference and three and four overall. Um, their offense is clicking. It's uh, you know they're not doing terrible. Their their defense is giving up quite a few points. Um, they're not taking advantage of of home field advantage. Um, they're two and two at home. Um, so so overall, I'd, I'd say I'm disappointed with SMU. I probably would have had them in my top two or three, uh, in the American conference and the American athletic conference this season. So a little disappointed with them, but I'm so blown away by this week's number 23 Tulane green wave. I mean, the, the green wave is four 0 overall. Um, they're scoring a ton of points, 134 points, um, in conference and 92 points, um, against them in conference. They are, the highest scoring, maybe second highest scoring team overall in the American, in the American conference. Um, and their defense is doing a great job. I think they are allowing the least or maybe second to least points, um, in the entire American athletic conference. Tulane is rolling their four and zero overall seven and one, um, in conference. And, um, it's, it's looking really good. They've got their work cut out for, for them for the rest of the, uh, season certainly. So yeah, I think Tulane is my, uh, my pleasant surprise, um, or as Dan said, my my yeah, my pleasant surprise for the American Athletic Conference so far, halfway through this season. Moving on to Conference USA. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say that my my biggest disappointment has got to be uh, the Charlotte 49ers. I think um I know that they're they're oh and four. I don't mean to kick them. I don't mean to kick you Niners while you're down. Owen and four in conference, one and seven overall, just fired their head coach. Um who I think will find will land on his feet somewhere. I think he'll be okay. Uh, Coach Healy's done a good job in Charlotte. It was, uh, in my opinion, it was just time time for a change. Um, so hard, hard to say it, but the, the 49ers of Charlotte, I did not expect them to be dead last in Conference USA this year. Um, so yeah, just a little disappointed um, with the Niners. However, I will say that a team that I was expecting to be towards the bottom, the Rice Owls, are my pleasant surprise for Conference USA. Right now they're sitting at fourth place at 2-1 and 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 4-3. Um, they're not doing anything spectacular. I'm so I'm sorry, Owls. I'm I'm very sorry. They're not doing anything crazy on offense or defense. Really, they're just playing consistently, um, doing a good job, um, and, and they're currently sitting above schools like UTEP and UAB um, in in the conference in Conference USA. So uh, pleasantly surprised with Rice. I don't know that it's going to maintain, um, but uh, thus far, halfway through the season, happy to see Rice up there in the top four. In the MAC, I'm going to go go ahead and start with my disappointment so far, and that's unfortunately the Northern Illinois Huskies. Um, I believe in what Coach Hammock is doing there. I think he's um, I think he's the guy for the job, but um, I think that something needs to change because they're sitting at one and three in conference, two and six overall. Um, their offense is scoring points, um, but their defense is just giving up giving up too many points. Um, they're just not getting it done at home. They're not getting it done on the road. Uh, something, something needs to change for Northern Illinois to, to pull this season together. A team that I'm pleasantly surprised by is one that I spoke about earlier in this podcast, and it's the Buffalo Bulls. Um, I don't have, this is no shade towards the Bulls, but I did not expect them to be at the top of the Mid-American East division. This is an impressive year so far in conference for Buffalo four and O after a nice win at home versus Toledo, who's in first place in the West. So, um, yeah, Buffalo's having a great season. Um, I, I don't anticipate it slowing down terribly. I mean they, they've, they're playing all the teams that they've got to play. Uh, they've got Ohio and Central Michigan and Akron and Kent State coming up. So I mean the Mac is crazy. Anything can happen at any time in the Mac, but um, I, I, I think the way Buffalo is going that they could certainly continue uh, down the path that they're on in the Mountain West a team that I am um, a little disappointed with this year. Um, I said Utah State in a previous episode. I don't want to keep kicking Utah State, um, but I am a little, maybe not disappointed. I'm a little confused by Air Force. Um, Air Force is now two and three overall. um, I'm sorry, two and three in conference, even though they're five and three overall. So uh, they're not playing well in conference at all. Um, Their offense is scoring points. I think they've got more points than any other team in the entire Mountain West. Um, and their defense is doing well. They, uh, they're they only giving up 134 points uh, this year. They're playing well at home. They're losing um, on the road. They're, that's the thing about Air Force. Their overall record is great. It's their conference record that's holding them down. They're second to last, only above New Mexico in the Mountain Division. So um, just a little confused by Air Force. I think um, they've got some potential to pull it up um, throughout the season, but we'll see what happens because the Mountain West this year is totally crazy. A team that I'm pleasantly surprised with is Boise State. Boise State is at the top of the Mountain West. Um, they started out the year in a in very confusing fashion, um, a, a loss to at Oregon State, um, and then a loss at UTEP. Um, very very confusing. Uh, perhaps some people would predict that they would lose to Oregon State, but. I really thought they were going to win that game to start the season. Um, and UTEP, no no disrespect to the Miners. I just thought that Boise would have won, um, uh, on the, even on the road there. Um, so Boise had a bit of a confusing start, but uh, man, they are just clicking. Um, they're scoring a ton of points. Um, their defense is playing well. They're having to make some changes midseason, but... Um, it seems like things are trending well for Boise State, um, and that's a team that I would not like to count out. In the Sun Belt, my, uh, my disappointment of the season so far, unfortunately, is probably my Appalachian State Mountaineers. Um, I'm not like completely disappointed. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not on the fire the coaches train, um, but they're sitting right now at fifth in the Sun Belt East, and I know the Sun Belt East is good, uh, but App is sitting at 2-2 two and two in conference, 4-3 and three overall. Um, the home field advantage that that App State usually counts on is not really holding up this year. They're three and two at home, with losses to Carolina and JMU. I know that I'm a spoiled App State fan. I just would ex- I would expect them to be doing better. Um, and I think every team except Georgia State can still still has the possibility of winning the Sun Belt East, um, except and of course except for JMU uh, because it's their transition year. Hashtag free JMU so I know that there's a chance for app to, uh, to win the East here, but I think a lot has to happen in order for that to work. As far as a pleasant surprise in the Sunbelt, I'm going to go with, I'm going to stay in the East and I'm going to go with ODU. Um, I had old dominion towards the bottom of my Sunbelt East, uh, predictions and, uh, they're proving to, to, to be doing very well. Of course they had like, um, they had a nice early season win. uh, I think they hosted Virginia tech and got that win at home. Um, and a close one versus UVA as well. Uh, So, so some nice in state out of conference wins, but also they're two and one in conference, even though they're three and four overall. Um, I still think the Monarchs are putting together a nice little first half of the season. Um, and and I know the, the folks out in Norfolk are excited to, um, to be, to see this sort of transition from conference USA into the Sunbelt and see old dominion at second place right now in the Sunbelt East, only under coastal Carolina, who I'll also note side note, not going to go in depth on it, but also impressed with coastal this year. They're, they're playing lights out um, and they're, Definitely the team to beat in the Sun Belt, um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't just say that I'm incredibly impressed with the top three of the Sun Belt West. Troy sitting at first, South Alabama in second, and Southern Miss, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, sitting at third in the Sun Belt West right now. Um, Sun Belt is an entertaining league, but uh, these teams are just showing that um, that they're they're ready to to sort of move into a, a spot if there's ever any opening, um, such as. Louisiana losing their head coach and a bunch of players and having a void to fill in, uh, in the Sunbelt West. So uh, those are my, um, my disappointments and pleasant surprises uh, from every group of five league uh, so far halfway through the season all right uh, we'll stay in the g5 hive mind here drew at Drew Crabtree 12 on Twitter said people in Toledo uh, people here in Toledo seem tired of Jason candle what are your thoughts on his job security and would a loss to Bowling Green albeit I doubt it would happen he says would it be the last straw uh, thanks Drew I appreciate the question um, yeah Jason candle is an interesting coach um, he his overall record is 50 and 30 with Toledo Um he's an Ohio guy. He's, he's from Salem, Ohio. He, um, has been at Toledo in some form or another, or another since 2009. Um, but he's been head coach since, uh, 2016. He started out kind of hot. I feel like this is where, um, things sort of, uh, things sort of started out troublesome for, for, uh, for coach candle here. Um, he started out um, as as head coach, he coached in the Boca Raton Bowl uh, in 2015 and and won that. And then his first year as head coach, he went nine and two, um, finished second in the West Division and lost the Camellia Bowl. And then seasons after that, he he went 11 and three in 2017, won the conference title, but lost the Dollar General Bowl. 2018 went seven and six, lost the Bahamas Bowl. Um, went back to the Bahamas Bowl in 2021, but lost that as well has really struggled to get double-digit wins since 2017. So um, started out pretty strong um, with uh, in 2016 and 2017. Things have really just not been the same for Toledo since. Um, so he's got an interesting history. But Toledo this year is looking pretty good. They're 5-3. and three. They're first in the MAC West. Um, they're coming off a tough loss to Buffalo, and they've got previous losses to San Diego State. And number three, Ohio State. So, really, not crazy losses here. Um, I still think Toledo is, you know, it, they're they're sort of running running the ship of the uh, the MAC West here. Eastern Michigan in second, Western Michigan in third, both at two and two. Ball State at two and two as well, and Central and Northern Illinois. Central Michigan and Northern Illinois, both at one and three. I know it's the MAC, and things are weird and anything can happen, but um, it seems like Toledo's doing a pretty good job. Um, It seems like they're performing solidly. Um, Quarterback Daquan Finn has uh, over 1,600 passing yards and 18 touchdowns. Um, He's also their rushing leader with 521 rushes and eight rushing touchdowns. I just think that he's their guy. I think I think, well, I think Finn is their guy. But I also think that candle's doing a, a good enough job. i I don't think his seat is as hot as some folks in Toledo think. So, um, would a would a loss to Bowling Green uh, be the last straw? Um, I think that depends on what happens between now and then. Um, I think that. You know, Bowling Green isn't until the you know, next to last game of the season. Before that they've got Eastern Michigan, they've got Ball State, and then after Bowling Green they've got Western. So I think if you're looking at losses to Eastern and Ball State and then Bowling Green, then he's out. He's he's likely out at that point. Or or he might just they might just wait it out to the end of the season at that point. But um I don't think I don't think his his seat is that hot. But you know, granted, I am I'm far from Toledo. Um, so uh, I can't just walk right into the Kosai Museum and and see what's going on, or go to a Mud Hens game, whenever I want. So, uh, Drew, you might have your finger on the pulse a little bit better than I do, but from my from my perspective, it doesn't look like things are looking that bad for Jason Candle right now. We'll see how things go for the rest of the season, though. Jay at Jayran here on Twitter says, "Let's give a hand to Summerall and the Troy Trojans, who went from being a dumpster fire to a bowl eligible team in less than a year." Yeah, you're right, Jay. Uh Troy and uh and Coach Summerall are doing an excellent job this season after um, a rough start to the season with losses to at, at Ole Miss Um and the crazy Hail Mary loss at App State. Um they they are having an excellent they've got five straight wins versus Marshall. Western Kentucky, Southern Miss, Texas State, South Alabama, uh, in the battle for the belt last week. Troy is on a roll. They are sitting at the top of the Sun Belt West, a Sun Belt West that is proving to be very strong. Um, if we're looking at overall records, uh, the top four teams in the Sun Belt West have uh, have winning records. So um, this, is, this is a strong division, a stronger division than people are giving them credit for. Um, and Troy's looking really good. They've got a, a big test at Louisiana. Um, in a couple of weeks, so of course, they're on. They're on a bye week this week. They get a little rest after the uh, battle for the belt there. Um, so they got Louisiana next week, and then um, at versus Army the week after that. It seems like Army's playing all the Sun Belt teams this year. Um, but then they they close out the season with UL Monroe and Arkansas State. Um, and I don't mean it as, as a slight to either of those programs, but um, if you're going to close out your season, those are pretty. Uh, pretty good teams to close your season out against at this point uh, in Monroe and, and Arkansas State. So I think their last their last big test in conference is coming in their next game at Louisiana um, and we'll see, we'll see how that goes. We'll see if they can stay focused. Um, they're bowl eligible already so uh, if they can stay in the top one or two of the of the division, um, they're definitely uh, gonna go bowling. Um, this season. so uh, congrats to coach Summerall and the Trojans. they're on a, a great a great first half of the season, uh, although I guess we're a little more than halfway done. Um, but they're they're having a great season so far and uh, it looks like they're going to keep on rolling. Got a couple of requests to talk about Buffalo football uh, this week. Uh, Tammy H Snyder at T Snyder IOT. And uh, the Buffalo sidelines account uh, appreciate the interactions as always there. Uh, but Tammy said Coach Mo, uh, she wants me to talk about Coach Mo and how he's assembled a, a team of winners who 100% believe in each other and would run through fire for him and their teammates. Don't recommend that. That doesn't sound like a safe, um, a safe, a safe decision there. Um, he has crafted something special in Buffalo, she says, um, and I couldn't agree more. I think that um, that Buffalo is is doing an excellent job this year i'm really glad to see them um succeeding uh they're uh, uh, similar to troy on a five game winning streak sitting at the top of the mac east at four and oh um it seems like uh coach mo that's um mo linguist um he's doing an excellent job uh at the at the helm there and this is his second season leading uh the the bulls so um yeah, this is a great, a great job after going four and eight in conference. I'm sorry, four and eight overall and two and six in conference last season to be sitting at five and three overall and four and zero in conference right now. Um, it's a huge improvement for Buffalo. Um, and we can attribute that to, uh, to the coaching. So, um, Buffalo sitting, sitting, uh, in a nice place at the top of the Mac East, they're playing Ohio, central Michigan, Akron and Kent state, uh, to close out their season. Um, kind of a confusing schedule. I don't know how many times I'm going to say in one podcast that I don't know anything about the Mac, Um, but here we are. (laughs) Um, I think anything can happen, Um, but it's looking like um, uh, in this week, this week in particular against Ohio uh, Buffalo's in a pretty good spot. Um, Ohio's giving up more points than they're scoring. Uh, Buffalo has a, a, an excellent passing game, and Ohio gives up a ton of passing yards. So uh, I think it's looking good for for Buffalo to improve to 5-0 and this week. We will always see what happens because that's what we do here. But much appreciated with the, the interactions with you, Tammy, and uh, the, the sidelines Buffalo account. Um, all, always good stuff as well. Got a great tweet from Samuel Pinckney Jr. at SteeplePC51 on Twitter. I believe this might be, uh, I could be wrong, perhaps the father of uh, Coastal Carolina wide receiver Sam Pinckney, um, former Georgia State wide receiver. but he, he gave me a laundry list of stuff to uh, to go over in this episode, and um, this is already a long episode, so I'm not, I don't know that I'll be able to cover all of it. Um, but one thing he did, he did ask me to look at was uh, some of the top, he asked for the top five for each position, quarterback, running back, tight end, and wide receiver out of the G5. Um, this is um, that's a tough one to to go over right now, but I did want to go ahead and, and just share some of my thoughts on some of the leaders, um, because when you look at division one uh, football, if you look at all of the major um, statistics categories, um, the group of five is just all over it. I mean, all over it. Um, If you look at offensive leaders, uh, passing leaders for the entire country, uh, number two for passing yards in the country is Kyle Vantrese out of Georgia Southern. Um, And number four is Frank Harris from UTSA. Number five is Austin Reed from Western Kentucky. So, um, the Sunbelt represented twice here in the top five, but also UTSA out of, the, out of Conference USA represented well with Frank Harris. Um, the group of five makes their mark in lots of different uh, statistical um, categories as well. Um, if we're looking at rushing leaders as well, the running back out of Marshall, whose name I, m- I might pr- mispronounce and I apologize, uh, but Kalon Laybourne, um, he's got over a thousand rushing yards this season. He's a number two rushing uh Rushing leader in the country right now, followed closely by Dwayne McBride out of UAB um, and Brad Roberts in fifth in the country out of Air Force. So again, three out of the top five in the country um, come from the group of five. And receiving yards leaders, Ali Jennings the third, probably no surprise out of Old Dominion with 905 yards, more than 60, uh, 60 yards more than the next person. Ali Jennings in first place in the country in receiving yards, uh, just a, a absolute firestorm of an attack, a uh, passing attack at Old Dominion there. Um, Isaiah Winstead from ECU is third in, in receiving yards for the season. Kalon Stokes uh, out of Tulsa in fourth, and Rashi Rice uh, from SMU in fifth. So, four out of the top five uh, receiving leaders in the country coming from Group of Five teams there. As far as defense goes, uh, uh, the Group of Five is all over defensive leaders, too. Uh, if we're looking at total tackles. Jason Henderson from ODU has 105. Bubba Arslanian from Akron has 86. And Sean Dolach? Sorry, Sean. Uh, Sean from Buffalo has eighty-six tackles as well. So, uh, two two MAC defensive players in the top five for total tackles for the entire country this year. Um, it continues with sacks. Uh, Bowling Green the. Um, Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green has seven and a half sacks this year, so as does Thomas Inkoom uh, have seven and a half sacks. Nick Hampton from App State with seven sacks. And Jose Ramirez out of Eastern Michigan with seven sacks. So, uh, yeah, the MAC uh, MAC defensive statistics are on fire here. Um, and uh, it continues in the... Um, the next category as well. Interceptions so far this season. um, Bentley Sanders out of Nevada has five and Marcus Fuqua out of Buffalo also has five. So um, two of the top five interception leaders in the country coming from the the group of five as well. So really impressive individual statistics uh, coming out of the group of five. And when you look at um, when you look at team statistics as well, um, there are some leaders here, um, including uh, Georgia Southern, um, behind the the passing game of, of Kyle van um with 338 yards passing yards per game lands them at number four in the country behind Washington Tennessee and Texas Tech um, and then for rushing yards air Force um, with their their option attack with 336 rushing yards per game as well as Navy, Navy's number four uh, with 247. So uh, some some good team statistics being represented in the group of five as well. On the defensive side, San Jose State is fourth in the country in points allowed with 14.5 per game, um, uh, an impressive stat. It's a strong defense out there in San Jose. Also in the Mountain West uh, for yards allowed, Boise State is third in the country with t- two, uh, 240.7. No surprise, Mountain West with strong defenses. Um, but this last one is is another good another good example of the craziness of G5 football. The leading team in sacks in the entire country this year is the Bowling Green Falcons with 32 sacks on the season. Uh, Liberty, who will be in Conference USA next year, has 30. Um, Cincinnati in third in the country with 29 temple at fourth in the country at 28. So the top four teams in sacks in the entire country this year are, are G five teams or soon to be G five teams. Um, so, uh, really cool. I appreciate, uh, Samuel, the, uh, the encouragement to go and look through some of these statistics. I know that, um, you know, statistics aren't, aren't everything, but I appreciate the encouragement, uh, the, 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 the prod to go look into some of these things. Um, because this is, uh, this is a great example of some of the, the awesome things that are going on in Group of Five that often get overlooked. So uh, yeah, happy to do that. Um, also got a couple of prompts from, uh, from Facebook as well this week uh, for the G5 Hive Mind. Joshua Parrish uh, asked me, um, can Tulane win the American Athletic Conference? You want the short answer, Josh? The short answer is yes. Uh, they absolutely can. Um, they're at seven and one. They're ranked twenty-three in the country. They're at first place in the American. Um, at four and zero, uh, the answer is yes. They absolutely can. They've got a game at Tulsa that they need to get through. Um, after that, though, they're home against UCF, home against SMU, and on the road to finish the season at Cincinnati. So, can Tulane win the American? Absolutely. But they have to play two of the top three teams um, in the conference to to get there. Um, so we will see what happens. I by no means am I writing them off. I think that they ha- Tulane has surprised um, this season so far. But uh, and for the record, they demolished an East Carolina team, twenty-four to nine, that just beat UCF last week. So. You know, anything can happen here uh, for the rest of the season. It's looking good for Tulane. I can anticipate Tulane playing for the conference championship. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to beat either Cincinnati or UCF twice. Um, So we'll see how that goes, but I appreciate the question. Also on Facebook, Jim Desirio asked, how about pairing up uh, G5 champions in bowl games? Jim, I appreciate that question. The reality at this point is, is that we really don't know who's going to be playing in what bowl games. Uh, whatever you see on social media or, or what have you is really just conjecture at this point. I could go through and tell you which conference has tie-ins to which bowls. Um, I don't think it's decided at this point. I could be totally wrong. Somebody correct me. I don't think it's been decided uh, which champions play in which ba- in which bowl games, which with. with which runner-ups, runners-up, go to play in uh in the other bowl games. It, it is extremely challenging to predict at this point. Every I can tell you every group of five conference has at least, I believe, five, f- at least four bowl game tie-ins, um, except for Conference USA, which has two this year, um, two definites. So it would be a bit of a fool's errand for me to go through and, and predict um, which G five teams are playing in bowls at this point? I do look forward to doing that at some point, but I just think now is probably not the right time to do it. But I really do appreciate that question. And as we get closer towards the end of the season, um, don't hesitate to somebody, anybody, uh, throw that back out me, uh, throw that back out at me um, to see to see where we land on that. Um, but Uh, That is going to wrap up our G5 Hive Mind from Twitter and Facebook this week. Um, Lots of activity there. Again, really appreciate all of your questions and thoughts. Um, And let's move on to the game of the week. This week, my matchup of the week is between the number 20 Cincinnati Bearcats and the UCF Knights. This matchup is on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern at the Bounce House in Orlando, Florida, and you can watch it on ESPN. To help me preview this game, I reached out to the guys at the Viva La Cats podcast and the Sons of UCF podcast. Let's hear from them now.
1: Hey there, G5 Pod listeners. I'm Justin Howes of Viva La Cats, a Cincinnati Bearcats-based podcast covering football and basketball. You can find us at Viva La Cats Pod on Twitter and under Viva La Cats on Spotify, Apple Pods, or wherever you listen. With that intro out of the way, I'm here to preview the Bearcats road trip down to Orlando to play the UCF Knights this week in one of our uh, famous rivalry games that we love to play each year. The Bearcats have had quite an interesting season, and on paper it looks pretty routine, but the Bearcats are currently sitting at 6-1 and one and number 20 in the AP polls. They're undefeated in conference play and really gave Arkansas a run for their money earlier in the season in game one. The Bearcats also lead the nation in defensive touchdowns. They are a top 20 defense, and we haven't lost a game in Nippert Stadium in actual years, and you'd have to go back to 2017 in order to find that last loss there. That streak currently sits at 32, and we've been selling out games and setting new records pretty much weekly, but... To better explain this team this year, we kind of need a quick backstory here. So this is a year that is following up one that we never previously had. Uh, The Bearcats are fresh off a college football playoff and an entire season in which they defied the odds. Uh, They had nine players get drafted in the spring. Uh, Many of them are already playing in the NFL. They won and won and won and won. (laughs) There was so much new for this team and this storyline that had been building for three or four seasons of 10-plus wins, and it all culminated to the best season that the fans and program has ever seen. And now, the Bearcats, with all of this affirmation information, have to find a way to follow that up. So a quick note about Cincinnati for those who have never been and don't know much about Cincinnati, the city of Cincinnati is a die-hard city for sports. Opening day is basically a holiday in which the majority take off work. The Bengals tailgates go on forever and the fans show out when the going really gets good, especially this past year. FC Cincinnati is also a recent product of all of that love for sports and what I'll mention here in a second. With that, the Bearcats fans live and breathe basketball and football. That kind of sets the scene for Cincinnati. With all that said, the city has also been resident to failure time and time and time and time again for professional sports between the Reds and Bengals. For my co-host Steve and I, neither of us are in our neither of us in our twenty-some year lives have uh, seen or been alive for a playoff series that has been won or a playoff game for at least the Bengals that won where we moved on. So when we say the city has had high expectations with very little results, uh, we mean that wholeheartedly. And last year for the Bengals, going on a miracle run to the Super Bowl, the Bearcats breaking the glass ceiling, and going to the college football playoff when no one told us that we could. After going 13-0 and on the season, it was just a justification for all those years of waiting for that big, big payoff. And finally, somebody could give us that, uh, which we had been waiting for all our lives. And now we have greater expectations expectations to be right where we were and is that fair maybe maybe not but that is what the current state of this team is and the current state of this conversation about them there's a lot of question marks about them and even now seven games into the season why aren't we beating teams by more why aren't we putting some of these mid-level teams away why are we playing teams you know to two and four points that we were beating by 20 and 30 points last year Why can we not just stop beating ourselves up every week? And also, why is winning not enough? This is a feeling that we're not really used to after coming off a lot of seasons of 10 wins. This fan base is pretty split, yet ultimately everyone is pretty happy just to keep winning, but the louder majority is kind of calling for more, and I'd be lying if I said that I was not in that crowd. Uh, We know what this team can be, and we know our our identifiable flaws And some of those glaring issues that have to be fixed if we want to continue to win and win more glaringly to compete in the Big 12 next season. As it currently stands, we're not up to par of what we would expect moving into a bigger and much more competitive conference than what we've been used to here in the American. I'll jump over to UCF here in a second, but all of this that I just mentioned was to say why we aren't confident In a game like this where we normally would be, some big concerns for the Cats this season and leading into this week, uh, we are tied for third in team penalties out of 131 FBS teams. Uh, We're second out of 131 FBS teams for yards lost in penalties. We're tied for 68th with a net zero margin uh, for turnovers where the past few seasons we've been able to really take advantage with our defense. Um, Some offensive issues. We are currently in the 60s on third down conversion playing against teams, which we are very much more than capable of taking advantage of. We're 87th in first first down offense, which has just been awful. We're 61st in rushing offense. In total offense, we're 45th. All of that to say, in comparison, UCF sits at number six in the nation. Um, we really can't get any amount of consistency on the offensive side of the ball, and our three conference games have been an absolute slide and not in the right direction. We're scoring less and less every week and allowing more and more. Um, in conference play so far, our wins have been in order by uh, 10, then 4, and now 2, uh, those being 2, Tulsa, USF, and SMU, respectively. With our lackluster offensive performances continuing, going on the road to UCF, where the environment is already the toughest for the Bearcats to play in in this conference, add in our injuries, add in three years of beating UCF, and UCF coming fresh off a blindsided and incompetent, pretty horrible loss to ECU that they were not expecting, we're going to get their hardest punch that they've thrown all this year. And as great as the Bearcats' defense is, and historically has been under Luke Fickle, I fully expect this to be an offensive week. It's, it, this is what's going to determine this game. UCF can and will score. And the biggest question is, can we keep up pace and can we take advantage of turnovers? And especially in those turnovers, can we score seven instead of three or none in those scenarios? We haven't been very good at just kind of putting it away and taking advantage of those situations. If we can pick up our ground game and actually run the ball um, with a good air attack as well, uh, which defensively UCF really has not been as great covering this year, uh, we should be able to sneak out of there with a win. And I say sneak as my keyword here, because it's not going to be easy. Um, ben Bryant and Charles McClelland, uh, their success in this game is going to be crucial, more so than pretty much anyone else. Um, and this game is generally circled on both teams' calendars every year. And this year in particular, at this point in the season, it holds a lot of weight. Uh, the Bearcats are 3-0 in AAC play, and Central Florida is 2-1, with an outright win and a tied AAC record at the end of the season against Cincinnati, UCF would take the spot of the Bearcats in the championship game should the records remain the same. Tulane looks like they could run away with it, and without divisions, this game will determine a lot for the season going on. Uh, The narrative and morale would definitely be boosted with a massive win here on the road, and who doesn't love a good rivalry game with some later on championship implications possibly there? The over-under for this week is 56. I'd personally take the over here. Um, the Bearcats are going to have to score, and I think they will. I think that we are finally kind of get it going, hopefully. Um, and the Bearcats are also dogs for the first time in a while. Uh, but with my personal bias, I would take them to cover this one-point spread as well. Um, feel pretty confident in that. All in all, the Bearcats are used to beating these teams. They should and can. All they have to do is stop beating themselves up each week. And this narrative of why can't we win by more, would easily be squashed, even just with a close win against UCF on the road. I think we could take care of that as well. So take care of UCF this week, and this season is going to ride pretty smooth until Tulane, the last game of the season before championship week. All that said, let's hope they take care of it. Thanks for having me on for this segment, and go Bearcats.
2: What's going on, Group of Five Focus podcast listeners? My name is Adam. I am one of the hosts of the Sons of UCF. We are a UCF-centric podcast, and today I want to share a little bit more about the, uh, I guess, the matchup of the week here in the Group of Five Focus podcast, UCF and Cincinnati. The Knights are 5-2 and two on the year, uh, but they are coming off of a really tough loss this last Saturday. Uh, they went to ECU, lost 34-13 in a game that ECU basically controlled from, uh, from the start, UCF had three first-half turnovers. Uh, ECU uh, held the ball and controlled the ball really well, Uh, and uh, the offense for UCF could not get anything going defensively. Uh, ECU was able to exploit some matchups on the outside, and uh, a game I think a lot of folks thought was going to be a a comfortable win for UCF turns into its first loss in conference. A pretty disappointing performance. Um, We're all curious to see how UCF will respond Uh, Based off of that performance, but Cincinnati represents the toughest test to date for UCF. Um, It's a team that has beaten UCF uh, basically three of the the last three times they've met. Um, And so this is a a contest where, um, you know, UCF, uh, you know, definitely has to play well in front of the home crowd. Typically, they are better at home. Um, It's a 330 kick. It'll be kind of warm in Orlando, but you know, the expectations are that we'll have a really healthy crowd uh, to watch this game. And uh, if UCF is playing well, it's probably because of one reason, uh, and that's John Rice Plumley. As he goes, uh, as the Knights go, uh, we've seen some ups and downs from, from Plumley this year. Uh, on the low side, he threw for 38 total yards against Georgia Tech. On the high side, he accounted for seven total touchdowns against Temple. So w- we never really know week to week which John Rice Plumley you're going to get. But if he's playing well, if he's clicking on offense, uh, then uh, that usually bodes well that, um, that the Knights uh, are going to be playing uh, a pretty good football throughout the game. Uh, Plumley is more of a running quarterback, so curious to see if Cincinnati wants to make him become a thrower of the football. Uh, not really a strength of his, but if he does throw it, he's got some outside weapons in Ryan O'Keefe, Javon Baker, and Kobe Hudson. Uh, Baker's been a little dinged up, but he's expected to play, uh, so he's definitely got some outside weapons. He's got some speed on the outside as well. If he can get the ball in the hands of those playmakers, do so without turning it over and make good reads, definitely sets UCF's offense up to uh, to be pretty formidable. On uh, the defensive side of the ball, it's, it's typically been a unit that's been don't break. Uh, prior to the game against ECU, they had a lot of over 20 points to an opponent. Uh, they were number one in the nation in red zone defense. That's no longer the case based off last week's performance, but they do have a, a stout defensive unit. Uh, their their two biggest challenges are getting pressure on the quarterback and takeaways. Uh, they have, uh, they were number 100 in the country with, uh, takeaways, uh, with only 11 on the year. Uh, definitely something that needs to improve for, uh, from that end. Uh, particularly in a close game like this, we're going to want to take the ball over. I think the team that turns it over less will have a, a, a better opportunity to win the football game. Um, what you're going to see on Saturday, though, is a, a team that, uh, again, is licking its wounds off of a really tough loss. Uh, and, and Gus Malzahn, the head coach of UCF, talked all week about uh, matching their energy and coming out on uh, hyped, uh, coming out excited. Uh, the fan base is on edge right now because we expected the opportunity for the conference championship uh, game appearance, uh, and losing to ECU certainly puts a, a dash in those hopes. And that makes this game against Cincinnati all the more um, all the more important as you think about that conference race should be close to a sellout. The Knights will be breaking out a New Jersey set as well called the night mode. It'll be all black. Uh, so there should be some excitement around that. But this game will really boil down to, you know, Cincinnati's defense and how much they can contain and or confuse John Rice Plumley. Again, if he's able to get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs, he's, he is UCF's leading rusher on the year, by the way. Uh, that certainly bodes well for UCF's offense. But if they're able to keep him in the pocket, force him to be a thrower, uh, force him to make reads, uh, certainly that you would think that would lean in Cincinnati's favor. The way, last time I saw a line, it was either UCF uh, plus one or, or was even money. So that tells you how evenly matched uh, this game is. But much bigger for UCF again. Cincinnati's had their number the last three seasons. Uh, last year they beat them uh, what 56-21 I believe was the final score. So certainly some some revenge on the mind uh, of UCF fans uh, as they as they take on this game Saturday. Either way should be a good one. UCF and Cincinnati never disappoint. But we will see which UCF team decides to show up. Again my name is Adam. You can find me on social media at SonsUCF UCF on uh, on Twitter on Instagram. Also make sure you check out our YouTube channel under the uh, under the same name at Sons of UCF. Good nights.
0: Thanks very much to those guys. really appreciate their input. Um, there's not too much I can add to that uh, but but I agree um, with a lot of what was said, uh, particularly, um, the offense of Cincinnati, uh, or the offense of UCF in particular, um, very balanced, uh, just, as, just as good of passing attack as there is rushing attack, um, and their offense w- with over 500 yards per game. Um, their, their defense is giving up quite a bit, over 350, um, but, but UCF um, is just looking really good, even after that loss at, U- at ECU last week. I think that that is going to be fuel Um, for the Knights this week Uh, Cincinnati obviously having an amazing season uh, and they're in good form coming off of nice wins at SMU versus USF at Tulsa at Indiana or I'm sorry versus Indiana um, and versus Miami of Ohio Um, I I see I see them doing well but I also see UCF who who beat Temple 70 to 13 a week a week and a half ago um, who beat SMU 41 to 19 at home. Um, these, these are no, no slouch games either. Um, I think UCF is going to have the advantage um, going to this game, although both teams have excellent defenses and excellent offenses. Um, I do see UCF with the advantage here at home at the bounce house, uh, my prediction is going to be UCF wins 30 to 24 uh, at home, um, but I've been wrong before. thanks for joining me this week on the group of five focus podcast reach out on twitter instagram and facebook at g5fpod to join the conversation and let me know what you think about my picks and previews and if you haven't already please follow rate and review on your podcast platform of choice and be sure to share it with your favorite group of five fans that's all for this week on the group of five focus podcast special thanks to the guys at sons of ucf and viva la cats for their help this week be sure to check the episode description for their Twitter handles and give them a follow to keep up with all the things Cincinnati and UCF that they're covering. But until next time, my question for you is what is one thing you can do to showcase the power of the group of five?